series called Adrift. We've been talking about the idea of how, how each of us can find ourselves adrift in many different areas of our lives. You can be adrift in your marriage financially. You can be adrift in, just in life. Uh, but uh, I guess we said the most tragic one of all is you can, you can drift from your relationship with the Lord and not realize that you're drifting in any of those areas. And today we want to take a look at it from a completely different perspective. And today is called To the Rescue. On uh, the very first week, we told a story of a man named Jim Honeycutt. And he was one of the, the people that we talked about how drifting had cost him more than he had hoped. And uh, today I want to finish the story because we only told part of that story that day. So on July 9th of 1960, um, Jim Honeycutt went out on a boat in the upper Niagara River with two passengers. And this may, bring be, uh, this may remind you of that uh, time a few weeks ago. The, the names of his passengers were Dean, Deanne and Roger Woodward. Um, Deanna just turned 17. It's the reason they were out on the boat that day. They were celebrating her birthday. And her little brother, Roger, had wanted to go along so badly. His mom said, he's allowed to go uh, on one condition. He has to wear a life jacket uh, because he can't swim. And so it was Roger's very first boat ride. And as Jim piloted the boat along the Niagara River, he went under the arches of the Grand Island Bridge, which was the unofficial turnaround point uh, uh, when you were um, uh, on a boat on the upper Niagara River. And as he went through there, there was fishermen with their boats anchored around that point, and they just sort of stared and watched as this audacious boat went past them, oblivious to what was lying ahead. After they had gone through and came closer to the rapids, they decided to turn around, but the shear pin broke, and the motor uh, was no longer useful. They didn't have an anchor, and they didn't have a line, and Jim began to paddle furiously, but wasn't able to uh, keep up with the current. The boat soon capsized, and all three of them were thrown into the water. Jim had no life jacket, and he died going over the falls that day. But these other two, Deanne, she'd been thrown out of the boat towards Goat Island and began swimming uh, towards it. You can see that side. So as they came down that, that area, she was tossed towards, towards Goat Island. She began swimming, and hundreds were there that day, and they stood at the brink of the falls watching as she was being swept towards the brink. When a man named John Hayes, who was just on vacation from New Jersey, he was um, there at, uh, at that place, ran down to the edge, and he yelled for her, come closer, swim closer. Deanne would say later that it was his pleading voice that made her swim harder and probably saved her life that day. As she got to the edge, uh, near the edge, she was um, able to reach out, and, and John Hayes was able to grab her thumb just 20 feet from the falls right here at Terrapin Point. 20 feet from the edge. He wasn't able to hold on to her and so as, uh, and pull her up just by her thumb. So John, another guy named John Quattrochi, we're going to call him John Q from here on in, also from New Jersey, he hopped over the barrier fence, helped um, lift her with John Hayes and lift her out of the water to safety. Incredible story. But not the end. Roger, her little seven-year-old brother, was not as lucky. When the boat was uh, overturned, he was thrown the opposite way, further into the Niagara River. And he was being tossed along the rapids towards the falls. And he describes it this way. He says, one minute you're being dragged under the water and you can't breathe. You can't get to air. You're not sure if you'll ever breathe again. Wearing an adult life jacket, he describes that the next moment you come flying out of the water like somebody just spit you out. You take a large breath and then you fall back into the water and it all starts again. As he got closer towards the edge of the falls, he could see, because it got calmer there, he could see the people on Goat Island watching. And he said this, he says, I was so angry because I was screaming as loud as I could for help, and nobody would do anything. 
Of course, I didn't realize I was heading to the brink of the falls, but he realized that nobody did anything. He went over the falls wearing only a life jacket and a bathing suit, and he fell 167 feet to the water below. He doesn't remember landing, but he remembers after, as he bobbed to the surface, that he could see the outline of a boat through the mist. And it was the boat called the Maid of the Mist too, captained by Captain Clifford Keach that day. And he expertly maneuvered that boat to within range of Rogers he, as they were just out on a tourist um, uh, vessel just to see what was around that day. Happened to hear little Roger scream and began to try and get the boat to, uh, in line with the water so that he wouldn't run over him but was able to get close enough for, for some of the, um, his crew members to throw Roger a life ring. Well, they tossed him a life ring, but it was too short. And Roger was in that whole place of in the danger of being sucked down again underneath um, the water because it's 167 feet to the surface and it's another 167 feet once uh, the water goes below and it creates this suction hole and Roger was there and so they tossed the ring again, again too short. The third time they finally were able to toss the ring within his range and Roger was able to grab it and he was saved and here's a picture taken that day. Incredible. 20 years from that day, Roger came to know the Lord. And he says, as he reflects on this accident years later, he says, it wasn't the hand of fate, and it wasn't the hand of luck. It wasn't the spirit of Liliwala. It was the spirit of the living God that saved my life that day and saved my sister and gave us hope that one day we would come to know him. And as I thought about this story, I was challenged by the two groups of people that were there that day. There was the people that I would call the watchers. The fishermen who watched as this boat went into dangerous waters and just simply watched as they went by. Hundreds of tourists at Terrapin Point who watched as Deanne was being swept towards the edge and just stood there watching. Up to 100 people were on the Maid of the Mist that day simply watching as a little boy in, 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 just in a life jacket on the, on the brink of, of uh, danger and potential death watching. And then there was another group who we call the rescuers. There was John Hayes, there was John Q, and there was Clifford Keach, three men that we know today because they decided to be rescuers. So today, what does that have to do with us? That was over 50 years ago. What does that matter for today? Well, the first three weeks in this series of Being Adrift, we spent all three of those weeks just looking at ourselves, looking at the idea of each of us could be adrift and not realize it, drifting in our relationship with Christ, drifting in our relationships in general, drifting in our marriage, drifting financially. And the temptation can so often be for us simply to focus on us, to just focus on the situation that I'm in, to focus on, on just ourselves. But I want to challenge you with this thought this morning, that even though we've been talking about drifting, the reality is there are people around you today that are drifting, and they don't know it. Some of them are adrift, hopelessly adrift, and they don't know it. They may not even realize, like we said in week one, you can be drifting and not even realize that their marriage may be drifting, and they don't know. They may be drifting into financial uh, death, and they don't know. They, their lives may be purposeless, but they just don't realize it. They may be drifting in their faith in Christ, and they don't know. Week one, we learned this. Drifting leads to danger and potentially to death. Drifting always leads to danger and potentially to death. So I want to give you a few thoughts this morning uh, about this. Number one is this. Those that are drifting don't know what they don't know. People that are drifting don't know that they don't know. 
You know, when I was uh, driving truck, and I shared this story before, you may remember it. Uh, there was one day I was driving uh, down to, I drove a truck full of ducks to New York City. I got all kinds of interesting looks along the way as people would look and see these live ducks and then find out who's driving this, this truck full of animals down to New York. Uh, but in, in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, as you drove through there, it was always construction. Well, one day as I'm driving through there, it's kind of in my own little world, and I'm driving. All of a sudden, I hear over the CB radio, hey, y'all, check out the chicken holler, bowling for cones. And I'm like... Bowling for cones, chicken hauler. I'm probably the chicken hauler, right? I'm like, that's, that's what they, it must be my vehicle. And so I'm thinking, what's bowling for cones? And as I look in my, as I look in my rear view mirror, I see all the big traffic, uh, all the construction cones are all flying out and laying all in the ditch behind me. Probably hit at least 20 of them by that point. I'm like pulling over. Normally the rumble strip tells you, you know, you're drifted off of your, des- uh, off of your course. But I didn't see the rumble strip and I didn't hear, I must have been listening to Toby Mac or something. I didn't hear all the cones being hit as I w- went along. And it was this voice that came and said, said, hey, you're drifting. And I'm grateful for it because those cones led up to a bridge repair. And had I not realized that I was actually not on course, I could have run into that concrete medium and it could have been an incredibly bad situation. But it wasn't until that voice came into my truck that day that I realized I'm off course, I'm drifting. Jim Honeycutt, same deal. Didn't, well, for me, just so it only cost me about 300 bucks to fix the headlight. That's all it was. But it could have been worse. Jim Honeycutt is the opposite side of this story where he didn't realize the danger that he was drifting into. And people around you don't realize that when they're drifting, they're drifting towards potential danger and death. But you might be able to see them. You know, as the people that are around your life, you might be able to see that they're drifting. Maybe they're drifting in their marriage. Maybe you see them drifting financially. Maybe you see them drifting in life. And maybe you see people that are drifting to an eternity without Christ around you every single day. See, the fishermen and the tourists simply watched as that boat went past that point and just watched. I want to read to you something from the Bible. It's from the book of James. If you have your Bible, grab it. They've been studying James or finished studying James in the portable. And the very last words in the letter that James wrote to the believers in the very, very early church, he said this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders... If someone among you wanders away from the truth, this idea that there's people around you that can drift, if they drift away from the truth, he says, you can be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from what? Death. Save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. He's saying this idea of someone's drifting around you, if someone that, that you know is drifting away from truth, He's saying it's leading to death, but that person that, that reaches out and, and helps them to turn their, des- turn their direction and come back on course saves their life from death. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes it to them, if another believer is overcome by some sin, and the idea behind that is not that they were, they were, they, not that they were planning it, just that they find themselves all of a sudden stuck somewhere, overcome by some sin. He says, you who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. And if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. As he writes, as he says, if they've been overcome, because one thought about people not knowing what they don't know is this. People didn't intend to end up drifting. People did never intend to end up adrift. The people around you did not intend to find themselves in those places. They were just cruising through life. They just wanted to get a closer look at the rapids, and now they're stuck. 
you know, marriages that fell apart, they never intended for that. They just ended up drifting and unwittingly and unrealizingly drifted into a place of danger. People that find themselves, you know, financially messed up, they drifted into this area and didn't, they didn't plan that they were going to be in that much trouble. There's others that didn't plan for their relationships to fall apart. There's others that are walking away from the Lord and th- they didn't really plan on that, but they drifted into this area. There's some who've drifted into addictions. They didn't plan that. They didn't intend for them to end, end up being stuck. They just found themselves there. And so he says, if you see something like that, if you see it, you saw it for a reason. If, and Paul's saying to the Galatians, if you see your brothers going in this way, he says, if you see it, you should do something about it. Well, now what do we do? Nobody wants to hear somebody else. Nobody wants me to come in, walk in their life and say, hey, man, you're sinning. Because you should stop. You know, the Bible says. Nobody wants that. So Paul clearly states it to them. He says, you know what? You who are godly should gently and humbly, gently and humbly, uh, uh, speak to them in the way that they, they could turn their direction. Why gently and humbly? Because he says, realizing that it could just as easily be you. So what would I want somebody to say if they saw me drifting? What would you want someone to say to you if, you, if they saw your life drifting towards potential danger and death? Just smile and wave. Smile and wave. What are they thinking? Smile and wave. See, you might see a friend whose addictions are getting out of hand. And it's difficult to bridge that gap to say something. You might, you might see, you know, or hear a husband who just talks down about his wife all the time. And it might be hard for you to bridge that gap to say, hey, bud, you, you're not going to like where this is going to lead. You might see a wife who just talks negatively about her husband all the time behind his back. And, and you know, you... He, he might feel like, you know, it's hard to step across and say, honey, you're not going to like where this is going to take you. You might see someone at your school who's drifting away from everybody else, kind of going to solitude, and you're like wondering. You may see people that are drifting away from the Lord. You don't see them on, on Sundays. You don't see them at your small group. You're, you're missing out, and they're drifting. It's hard sometimes saying, hey, you coming back? Hey, how are you doing really? How are you doing Really? What would you want them to do for you? A lot of times we think, you know, that thought is that, oh, those people, you know, they, they're struggling with addictions, but they wanted to be there. They should have known better. You know, we see people that, that end up in these places, and sometimes we look at them and think, oh, serves them right. They shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have cheated on their spouse. Serve them right. These thoughts sometimes that, you know, we think they intended. They never intended to be there. People don't know what people don't know. Second thought is this. Those that are adrift, not just drifting, not just the ones who are a little bit drifting, like a little bit. Those who are adrift, hopelessly, helplessly adrift, cannot save themselves. Like Deanna and Roger, they couldn't save themselves. Deanna needed those men to reach past the barriers to rescue her. Roger needed those people on that boat to throw him the ring multiple times in order to save his life. He wouldn't have survived going through. He was already struggling with the cold, and his body could have easily been sucked back under that spot, or even worse, through the rest of the, through the, rest of the Niagara River. He needed them. And you know what? It's why Jesus came to this planet, because God did what we cannot do. None of us could save ourselves, and God did what we can't do. Jesus came to start a rescue mission. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it just clearly says, this is why Jesus came. For the Son of Man came to seek and save 
He came to seek and rescue those who are lost. You know the great thing about Jesus? He didn't care about where or in what state he found people. Zacchaeus was a thieving tax collector, and Jesus tossed him the ring and said, come follow me. You know, he found a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and brought before him. And he could have looked at her and said, well, you deserve this. But he didn't. He tossed her the ring and said, come follow me. The criminal on the cross hanging on his deathbed for a life of crime. And Jesus looks over and tosses him the ring and says, come follow me. As the tourists that day watched, there were people drowning just meters away from them. And there are people around you that are drowning in depression, drowning in despair, drowning in hopelessness, drowning in addiction, and they're just meters away from you. And all they need is someone to toss them a ring because they don't know what they don't know. They don't realize that, they, that they're in trouble. Then They don't realize that there's a way out. If they could have saved themselves, they would have done it already. They need someone to toss them the ring. Third thought, Jesus called us, you and me, to join the rescue mission. His final words to his disciples can be found in Mark 16. It says this, um, Jesus said to them, and when he told them, or then he told them, go, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, will be rescued, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned that word condemned, it's talking about they're, they're, they will be judged um, worthy of being judged. They're going to receive the judgment that, that they deserve if they aren't, if they aren't have, have the chance to believe in something else. The ring is good news. It's the good news that Jesus saves. And it says anyone who can grab onto that, onto that, grab onto that ring of good news, they will be saved. It says anyone, whoever it might be. But the trick of thought behind this is the ring doesn't throw itself. The ring doesn't throw itself. Sometimes we think, you know, oh, well, you know, God, can, he can do it all. He'll, do, he'll just do it. He says, no, I've called you to throw the ring. Come join the great co-mission, you and me together. You throw the ring and I'll save them. You don't have to save them. You just got to throw the ring. You just got to give them opportunity. You just got to give them the chance to believe in something different. And if they do, I'll save them. I'll save them. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 16 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. How will they be able to to hear? How will they be able to respond? How would anybody be able to experience salvation if they aren't given the chance, Roger probably would not have survived unless somebody had thrown him the ring multiple times. How many others around us, they're not going to make it unless somebody throws them the ring. You know, what does throwing the ring look like? It's different. There's obviously the, the main one where it's offering them the, the, the hope that comes in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's number one. You're like, well, I'm not sure I know what to say. Sometimes it's simple as saying, hey, I'm not sure what to say, but will you come to my church on Sunday? Sometimes it's like, I don't know what to say, but hey, you know what? Would you come join our small group? Because maybe through that small group, they're going to hear some things that are going to be said for you. For some, throwing the ring is as simple as this sentence. How are you doing? Really? Do you have people in your life that ask you, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Really? I know I see you sitting there on Sunday mornings, but how is it really? What is it like right here? 
That question sometimes tough. But man, I have, you know, in our small group, they ask us this every week. And it's like that thing of realizing, ah, it doesn't let me drift. Because I know every week I'm going to have that opportunity to answer that question again. How are, how's your faith? How's your relationship with the Lord? Really? But they need someone to toss them the ring. Jude, one of the last books of the Bible, Jude, he wrote just one chapter. And in there, we studied it here. He says this in verse 22 and 23. He says, you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering whose faith is wavering, you know, those, your brothers who are drifting a little bit, show mercy, mercy to them. And then it says this in verse 23, rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment and show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating sins that contaminate their lives. As he's talking about this, he describes three different people groups in three different ways and three different responses. For some, it's a brother who's drifting a little bit and just requires a simple, hey, bud, you know, I've been thinking about you. Are you, are you okay? And for others, they're on the brink. And Jude's like, you know what? Go in and do whatever you can to snatch them from danger. Maybe you've got to have a conversation that's really awkward for you. But it's like, man, I need you to hear this. And I can tell you one thing too. Sometimes it's hard to, sh- to talk and, and bridge that gap and share some difficult things. I can tell you this. You know that the person who's sharing difficult things with you is not trying to hurt you. But they love you if you can see the hurt in their eyes as well. You can be guaranteed that somebody who has that difficult conversation with you loves you when you can see that it hurts them as well. They're not doing it for them. They're not doing it to push you over the edge. They're doing it to toss you the ring, to hopefully pull you to safety. The last thought is this. You very well may be rescuing someone from the brink of danger, just like Deanne, right at the brink. Here's the last thought. Why? (laughs) Why should I rescue others? And, And I'm asking you to ask that from your seat. You know, why should I? I'm not a preacher. You might think, you know, I'm just a regular person. I, you know, that, that's, what they, that's what we pay preachers to do. Why should I? <laughs> couple thoughts. Number one, there's probably not a preacher who's going to see the people in your work every single day like you do. There's probably not going to be another preacher who's going to live in your household and around your family like you do. There's probably not going to be somebody who's going to come into contact regularly with the same people that you regularly come in contact with, whether it's your high school, wherever it may be. Second thought is people are in trouble, and that's a real good reason to respond because they are in trouble, and, and you have it within you to help. But here's probably the biggest reason why I think we should respond, and it's this. The reason I think we should respond is this reason, that we often forget that we've been rescued ourselves. Don't miss this. We often forget that we have been rescued ourselves. Max Lucado tells a fictional story based on a true one, but here's, here's the story he tells. He sto- tells a story of a man named Ed. He says, old Ed, he says he wanders the pier every Friday night. He's clutching a bucket of shrimp in his you know, his gnarled hand. And as he walks along the, the, the pier, the seagulls begin to gather. They, they remember and recognize, here comes old Ed. And he would reach into his bucket of shrimp and he would throw shrimp to these seagulls. And as the seagulls would eat the shrimp, as he would throw them, he would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. And people would look at him as, this is so odd. Why is he wasting good shrimp on seagulls? And they'd watch him a little longer and as they, they, he'd get to the end where his bucket would be empty. 
And he would still stand there and watch. And as the seagulls would realize that there was no more food after a while, they'd begin to drift away. And old Ed would still be there just lost in, in thought, as if being taken back to another place. And for people who watch and thought, you know, Ed, he's just crazy. We don't know what's up with that guy. If they could see into his mind, they would see the true part of the story, which is this. Ed was Eddie Rickenbacker, a World War I flying ace. And as Ed, later on in life, um, was asked to, to go on a mission to bring a, a document to General MacArthur. And as he, was, as he was going on this flight, that plane ran out of fuel and crashed. And Ed and, and seven others um, were, were stranded and spent, you know, 24 days out at sea. But they said as they had landed, they only had three or four oranges among the eight of them was all the food they had. And as, the, as they ate these oranges, they got to the place where by day three, the food was long gone and they were beginning to get hungry. They weren't sure. There was one young guy in the boat uh, who had, brought, had a little waterproof Bible and every day they would open it and they would read and they'd read from the same chapter, Matthew chapter 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself. We've, you know, trust that God can meet and take care of, take care of you. And they're like, yeah, God, I don't know about that. I don't even know if you exist. Most of them weren't followers of Jesus, but they're like, okay, we'll do this. Day four, as they did that, just shortly after their little devotion, where they had no food and no hope of catching any, they were sitting around talking about what digits of their fingers or their earlobe or what toe they could cut off to use as bait to try and catch fish. They thought, which ones am I not going to miss too much, you know, if and when we survive through this? And as they were talking about that, realizing, you know, it's, we, we kind of need, need some help. We need a miracle. It says that a sea swallow, which is a small seagull, flew and landed on one of the guy's heads. His name was Captain Cherry. And as he landed on his head, um, they all watched and they realized that, that hope was within their grasp. Food had just landed on hundreds of miles away from where it should be. And it says he rubbed his chin. And then he rubbed his ear, then he rubbed his eyebrow, and then he snatched the bird. They all watched, hoping that he would catch this bird. Sure enough, after he caught it, all eight of them got one bite. One bite. But they were able to use the intestines to fish and continue to catch fish and be able to survive for 24 days out there. Jim Whitaker writes about it in his book called We Thought We Heard Angels Sing, about that moment. And as they talk about this thing on the pier, it was the idea that Old Ed had come to thank the seagulls for that one seagull that had given its life, that one seagull that was so far away from where it was supposed to be, but came all that distance just so that they might be saved. And it was this idea of remembering that we have someone who came an incredible distance, left heaven, came here so that we might be saved, gave his life so that we might be saved. For any of you that are a follower of Jesus and realize what the freedom and for, of forgiveness is, what grace feels like, and realizing that the hope that we have, to not forget what that feels like, because there's so many around us who have no idea. Romans chapter 5, Paul writes to the Romans, and he says this. It's just beautiful. It's amazing, because he says this, when we, and I want you to look at all the we's and all the us's, when we were utterly helpless, when we were the one drifting towards the edge, when we were the one 20 feet away from certain death, when we were the one drifting into trouble, it says Christ came at just the right time and he died for us. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person or a really good person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. <laughs> but if we know ourselves, we know that each of us would say we're not especially good. If everybody knew all of our dark secrets, we, we're not putting ourselves in that position. He says this, but God showed his great love for us 
by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still adrift. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he'll certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we'll certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord, just listen to this thought, Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Oh, that thought, it's incredible. The fact that we have the chance to have relationship with God, the fact that we can do life that way, the us and the we in, those, in that verse, that's you and that's me. And if it wasn't for Christ, as we think about that, if it wasn't for Christ, if it wasn't for the people who thought, you know, who decided to reach out to us, if it wasn't for my Sunday school teacher who tossed me the ring, said, Mark, you can believe in Jesus Christ. You can have the chance to be saved. If it wasn't for those people, where would I be? Where would you be? As we remember what it's like to be rescued, I want to challenge you with this final thought. There are two types of people, I believe, that are here today. Three, I guess, because maybe you're here this morning, the first one, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. You know, maybe you feel like you would describe yourself maybe today as being one of those people that's adrift. You're just like, you know, life is such a turmoil for you. You're not sure if you're breathing or if you're ever going to breathe again, if you're going to come up and it just seems up and down. You know, there's no real joy on the inside. It's not like there's real hope or sense of purpose. It's not like you know what it feels like to be forgiven for all of your past. You're trying to make up for it. You're trying to do good things to make up for the bad things. Let me tell you something. Jesus is real. The fact that he came and died 2,000 years ago, he's alive today. And, and, and the promise is true for you. If you would believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead, and if it says that you would call on the name of Jesus, you can be rescued. You can live life with a whole different kind of hope, and that's available for you this morning. And maybe, you know, I don't know how many visitors decide to get up early on the Sunday and come to church, but I know that there's our Kingsway folk here this morning, and there's two types of people here this morning as well. One is this. You know, there's people around us, each of us, that are drifting. And there are people today, you know, that, that could be compared to these three. We know the names of John Hayes. We know the names of John, you know, Quattrochi. And we know the name of Captain Keach today because they decided to be rescuers that day. But there were hundreds of people there that we don't know their names because they just simply watched as those were drifting towards danger, they just simply watched as they went. How different would the story be had those fishermen decided to say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 buddy, where are you going? We wouldn't have this story. Lives would have, <laughs> all three lives would have been saved. So today my question is here, which one will you be? Will you be the one knowing that there's people around you drifting into danger? Will you be the one who just simply watches or will you be the one who decides to be a rescuer? Will you be the one to say, I'm going to toss the ring. It might feel uncomfortable. I may not get it right. I don't know, but I'm going to toss the ring of hope to those around me. I, I, I want to be one of those people. Do you know that Easter's coming up in a few weeks? Easter's the number one weekend where people who are not followers of Christ would be willing to come to a church. How simple would it be for the people that, that are around you to simply toss them a ring of saying, hey, would you, be willing, would you like to come to our church this Sunday? Would you like to come to church with me on Easter? Just simply tossing them a ring. Last thought here. Too often and, and, and often as, um, 
as, a, as churches, it's like compared to that made of the mist, where, you know, as we look at, at different yacht clubs uh, that, that have been made, they were all designed with this idea of being part of a rescue mission. And then somewhere along the line, they just became a, a rich man's club where they'd park their yachts and just, you know, sit on their yachts in the harbor and never go out looking to rescue lives anymore. That can happen to a church. That can happen to the place where we become more like the maid of the mist, where it's just this idea of just kind of traveling, you know, comfortable through life. At least I'm okay. You know, I'm kind of a tourist in this thing. I'm just going to sort of sit back and watch and see what's going on around me. You know, we want the comforts of what, you know, a five-star resort in our, of our church could be like. You know, we just, we, we just want soup Sundays or we just want whatever um, uh, things. We want what's good for us. We don't want too many people here because it makes it a little bit hot on Sunday mornings or a little uncomfortable. But that day, those tourists were on a boat, and it became a rescue boat. And this morning, I would want to encourage and challenge us that may Kingsway always be the one who realizes that we're still here because we're on a mission. And that mission is to help reach out and toss the ring of hope and life and salvation to those around us, not as a building, not as a congregation, not as a Sunday morning, as people, as individual people, wherever you find yourself, tossing the ring of hope to those who are drifting and to those who are adrift. So my question today is, which will you be? Will you be a watcher? Will you be one of the rescuers? What will be said of you years down the road? That they were the person, how many people will be able to point and say to you, it's because of you. It's because of you that I'm here today. It's because of you that I experience hope. It's because of you. And obviously, we're not the ones who save. It's Jesus. But let's, let's give people that opportunity so that fewer of our brothers would drift and that fewer people would remain adrift. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that it grabs us to the core. Jesus, above all, thank you for coming, living your life for us and giving your life for us, for paying my penalty that I could not pay. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. This morning, Jesus, I, I know that your love is unconditional and incredible and that it reaches down to the, to the lowest places and it's wide enough that it can be there for every person. And this morning, there's people here that don't know you. Father, I pray that they'd have that sense of your love and, and your open arms. And may they have the opportunity to believe in you and reach out to you for this incredible gift of salvation. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we go from this place this week, as you bring people to our mind, that we would be courageous and reach out. Maybe it's our brothers and sisters from here, and maybe, maybe it's people that we work with, that, God, you'd help us to just to toss them the ring, to, to realize and to reach out. Thank you for that. Thank you that we're not doing this alone, but that it's you, your incredible Holy Spirit in us every day. Love you. Thank you for the opportunity. Pray a blessing on our time together here. May, may all that we do be uh, pleasing to you. It's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.